Good morning. Can you hear me? Uh, my uh, <clears throat> voice will definitely be challenged a little bit today. Y'all can pray for me that way. I do have a little bit of a head cold, so if I fist punch, pump, not fist punch you, <laughs> fist bump you instead of shake your hand, it's because I love you. Uh, Andrew is at home today. I'm wearing the tie for him today. His birthday was yesterday. I'll be done with the kids on the tie look now that July is over. Uh, But y'all can pray for Andrew too. Hi, son. I love you. Uh, He's hopefully watching. Last week we talked about our orphan state before salvation. All of us were born dead in sin. Even if we were born into Christian families, we were still born with the same hearts that our Christian parents had before they were born again. We had hearts that did not honor and give thanks to our Creator. Hearts that were unknowingly led by the father of lies, Satan. Hearts that were committed to our own sinful lusts and desires, as we saw in our passage that we read. We were all born spiritual orphans. We were victims of our lineage from Adam. We were victims of the devil's influence. We were victims of the world's evil persuasions. Yet... We were also fully responsible for our own sinful deeds. We entertained and enjoyed the lustful passions of our flesh. We were lost spiritual orphans who sinned continuously. We were lost in our sin. We were in a desperate condition. We were by nature children of wrath. That is everyone in the room. This doesn't mean that if we had Christian parents, we were without any influence from God. Having Christian parents is an extra measure of God's grace. God graciously gave some of us parents who pointed us to the Heavenly Father. But even if we were not raised in Christian homes, God still was influencing us. He used our conscience that He gave all of us. He used other authorities in our lives to point us to an authority, a a supreme authority himself. He even used Christian examples to provide glimpses of grace in our lives. Most of you that were raised without Christian parents can testify to at least somebody that showed you something different about who God was. Without God's gracious influence... Through His common grace, we would have all been much worse than we were. Despite these grace gifts, this common grace, we were still all totally depraved. So we were 
poor spiritual orphans trapped in a world that is a lost and rebellious towards God, a people that hate God. But then we saw, but God. Beautiful words, aren't they? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Oh, words that rejoice the heart for all of us who were orphans. For all of us who have repented and believed in Jesus, there had been a supernatural work of God in each of us. That's why we believed. We were made alive by God. This new birth is the reason why we were able to turn from our sin and believe in Jesus. We are no longer dead in our sin. We are alive with Christ and in Christ. The Lord used the gospel of Jesus Christ to make us alive, didn't he? To convert us from children of wrath to children of God. To change us from sons of disobedience to sons characterized by obedience to our Father. What a God. But why? Why would God do this great act of mercy? Why would he save us? Why would he make his friends his enemy or his enemies his friends? And why would he adopt orphans like us? We see it in this verse. It says, because of his great love with which he loved us. This love is another main theme throughout the book of Ephesians. Matter of fact, Dr. Honer says that it is the main theme of the book of Ephesians. I would say it's the love of the Father that's probably the primary theme of the book. I think we who are in the Reformed camp are sometimes afraid to acknowledge and really meditate on God's love for us. But brothers and sisters... The Father's love for us is one of the main truths of our relationship with the Father that we need to know and understand and abide in continuously. It is the primary attribute of our Father that promotes obedience from His children. We seek to please our Father, but why do we seek to please Him? Because we know He loves us. We don't seek to please him so that he will love us. We seek to please him because we already know that he loves us. The father's love for his children is the foundation of every child's life. It determines whether they obey their father, whether they honor their father, whether they enjoy their father, whether they spend time with their father. It's everything, isn't it? The more we know how much our father loves us, the more we want to do what? Spend time with him. Enjoy him. Delight in him. But in our reform camp, we often think, Well, let's don't talk about the love of God because all those seeker-sensitive people talk about it all the time. See, this is that reaction stuff that gets us in a lot of trouble where we fail to realize just how much God loves us and we have a heavenly Father that cares for us and delights over us 
and sings over us and enjoys us and loves us. The more we know the Heavenly Father's love for us, the more we will act like the children of God that we are. Why do we think, why do you think Paul prays that the Christians in Ephesus would know the height, the depth, the breadth, the width of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus in chapter 3 of Ephesians? He's saying, if you know how much God loves you... If you understand the depth of his call, that you are his children and that you are his heirs, and you know how much he loves you, then guess what? You will obey him. I would say that this is one of the main things that determines the success of a Christian, whether their life looks like a Christian or not. If you don't know how much God loves you, you will be a horrible Christian. If you don't know... That God the Father loves you, you're not going to love anybody that hates you. You're not going to be able to do anything that the Sermon on the Mount says. You must know that He loves you. By the way, if our understanding of God's love is the primary motivation for our obedience of, and love of others, then how in the world can the world love one another? Did you hear me? We look at the world and we say, why is the world so angry? And why does it want to kill each other? Why is everybody so mad at each other? Answer, because they don't know the love of God. They don't know the love of the Father. If they knew the love of the Father, it goes away. Anger, bitterness, resentment. Those things go away as we know the love of the Father. And believer, if we are in sin and we are not meditating on how much God loves us, our assurance goes away. And before we know it, we can't love anyone but ourselves. Did you hear that? Even you as a believer, if your mind and your heart and your thoughts are consumed with yourself and you're in sin, you can't know how much God loves you. You're not meditating on that. And guess what? You're going to be a selfish person. This is why the Apostle Paul, talking to strong Christians, spends the first three chapters of this book talking about how much God loves you. And expressing his prayers that you would know how much God loves you. It's amazing to me that I still hear it, even in our church, regularly. People say to me, I just, I'm just not sure if God loves me. I don't know. we fail to understand our plight, by the way, in Christ, before Christ, then we will fail to understand the depth of God's love for us. Why meditate on Ephesians 2, 1 to 3? Why think about total depravity? Why is the doctrine of total depravity so important? Well, because you can't understand how much God loves you until you understand just how wicked you were towards Him before He saved you. 
However, when we are aware of our desperate condition as former spiritual orphans and what our Father did to rescue us from this condition, then we will begin to comprehend just how much God loves us. Beloved, I'll I'll never forget the first time I met little Julia Ruth, my daughter. She had no clue who I was. She was a little girl, three years old, with a cast on her hand and beautiful little eyes. She needed a daddy because she was fatherless. She needed a daddy who would protect her. She needed a daddy who would be that securing influence in her life. She needed a daddy who would point her to where her true joy was found. When we met that first time, my heart immediately committed to her. I remember sitting on a little bench at Lettuce Lake Park, weeping my eyes out as I watched her play on the playground with the other kids. I immediately loved her with all of my heart. I was sacrificially committed to her. She had no idea who this man was that was staring at her and crying. She had no idea that I would have at that moment said, anything you need, I'm your daddy. I loved her with no strings attached. We were willing to take her despite her medical issues. She was born with both physical and spiritual heart problems. But we were unconditionally committed to this little girl, swinging and running around that playground, who had no idea who we were. She didn't even know what a father was. However, Julia was my daughter, and I was her daddy. The adoption hadn't been completed yet. The legal change in her name from Julie to Julia had not occurred, but my heart was sacrificially committed to her. Brenda and I knew immediately she was who we wanted to care for for the rest of our lives. How could we love someone who we had never met or only met one time? How could we love her so much and want her to be our daughter, though we had never met her? The answer is, our Father in Heaven loved us this way. He loved us before we even knew Him. He cared for us even when we were in our orphan state. He made us alive in our hearts. And so our motivation was the love of God, the Father. The Father loved me so I could do nothing else but love my little girl. The doctrine of God's love was in control of our hearts. We knew God's love for us. In fact, we knew God loved us way before we loved Him. The Father loved us, saw us in our sin, but chose to love us anyway. This is the because God loved us. This is the love of God that caused us to love this little orphan. 
This is the love of God we will be examining today in our passage. I'm convinced that more, more and more everyone in the room understands this love of the Father towards them. The more we will be satisfied with Him and we will desire to obey Him and to love one another. In fact, when we truly understand our Heavenly Father's love for us, there is really one primary response that comes from His children. Worship. Praise. When we really get how much God loves us, honoring our Father is a joy. It's a delight. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. This love was introduced there. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3, it states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Wow, what a, what a passage, huh? What a, a praise to God. Today we're going to examine the loving, the amazing love our Father displayed in adopting spiritual orphans like us so that we will be caused to praise and thank our Heavenly Father. Again, a little bit more background on the book. The Apostle Paul wrote the book, and he was graciously chosen by God to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. The readers are the set-apart ones who are faithful in Christ in Ephesus. And the section of praise and thanksgiving is common for the beginning of an epistle. But nothing is even close to Paul's length in the praise and thanksgiving as it is here in Ephesians chapter 1. Those verses from 3 to 14 is one long Greek sentence. 
one giant praise to God. The giant song at the beginning of the letter of Ephesians can be outlined this way. There's an introduction in verse 3, and then there's the first reason to praise in verses 4 to 6, the second reason to praise in verses 7 to 12, and then the final third reason for praise in verses 13 to 14. In the introduction, Paul breaks out into this praise to the Father for all he has done. And notice in verse 3 it states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice Paul starts with the word blessed. Blessed literally means here, worthy of praise. Our Father is worthy of praise. Paul is praising the Father for His unending and unchanging worth. Paul explains, God's worth is worthy of praise because of the blessings He has bestowed on His children in Christ. It's because the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. This is what he does in the introduction, and he gives his summary of it in verse 3, and then explains it in verses 4 to 14. In effect, Paul says here, everything God has done for the believer in Christ is reason to worship. Our Father has blessed every believer beyond all that we could ever dream of. These blessings are not worldly blessings. Notate that. They are not cars. They are not houses. They are not lots of money. They are not your earthly family. They are not your spouses or your children. They are not food on the table. They are spiritual blessings in Christ. At this point you might say, well then what does it matter? Because aren't we all about now? And the answer is, no. All of these spiritual blessings are enough. If we got none of these things of the world, this is enough. Or, you don't know how much God loves you. You don't understand how much the Father loves you. If this is not enough, If this, these spiritual blessings are not enough, then we might as well give up now and go home. These are enough. He is worthy of all of our honor and praise just because of 3 to 14. The main idea of this passage is our Father is worthy of praise because of what He has done for us in Christ. There's a little refrain of praise at the end of each of those. You see it in verse 6, 12, and 14. God is worthy of praise. God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of praise. Today we will focus on this primary first reason. Our Father is worthy of praise. Let's read it again, verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace 
which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In these verses, Paul gives us a glimpse into the first main spiritual blessing for us who believe in Jesus. This is the first reason to praise and honor our Father in heaven. Paul unfolds here arguably one of the greatest glories of God in the entire Bible. Paul explains the Father's electing love for His adopted children. God's sovereign election is a subject that brings concern to many Christians' hearts, which blows my mind, but it's true. But if we properly understand it, it will become one of the most encouraging doctrines for all of us. We need to understand this doctrine. The reason it is so encouraging is that it screams, it proclaims, it shouts... We have a Father who has always loved us, who is presently loving us, and will always love us forever and ever and ever. He has guaranteed it before the foundation of the world. Our Father has loved His adopted children not based on their behavior, Not based on how ugly or how mean or how evil you were in your orphan state. He has loved us before the foundation of the world. And he determined to adopt us. And his adoption, adopting love, guarantees he will finish what he has started. We are his work of art created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand. Ephesians 2.10 So let's look at the father's predetermined choice of his adopted children so that we will praise and thank the father. There are four details of this, of our father's electing love that are revealed in this passage. Look at them real briefly as we go through these. First, I want you to notice, the father chose each of his children for himself in Christ. Look, it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The Greek word here, chose, is related to the English word election. God chose us. He picked us. He elected us. The us here is referring to each of the true believers in the Ephesian church and to Paul himself. But by application, it applies to everyone who believes in him. Behind God's choice is also the idea that He chose us for Him. It doesn't say it in your version. It doesn't say He chose us for Him, but it's in the Word itself. It means He chose us for Himself. This means the Father chose His children for His own honor and glory. The idea of someone choosing something for His own glory or only for his own honor and praise, only fits with one being. And who is that? God. God is the one and only creator that can choose for his own glory. He deserves to be praised. He's worthy of worship. So he chose for his glory, for himself, because we were where his joy was found. He knew that 
by choosing us, he would be glorified, and that's what it's all about, God being glorified. You know, when we think of this, I want you to think, and I want you to apply this, and I know a lot of people, when I'm talking about dating and stuff like that, they really get all bent out of shape, and they, they wonder why I talk the way I do, and why I think that ordained or uh, pre-picked marriages is sometimes a good thing. Listen to me, folks. We don't pick a spouse so that we can be honored, do we? We don't pick a spouse so that we can be served and glorified and magnified. We don't pick spouses that way as Christians. We're supposed to pick a wife for God's glory. So it doesn't really matter who you end up with because what? You're doing it for his glory. Now, obviously, you should marry Christians. We understand that. But we don't pick for our glory. We pick for his glory. And God knows this. So in his sovereignty, he puts you with who he can be glorified most through. It's the same way with children. We don't, a person, when they're adopting a child, they don't pick a child for their own glory. Can you imagine what that would be like? If we looked and said, oh, yes, that one won't make much of me. I think I'll pick that child. Doesn't work, does it? Because we're sinners. We exalt ourselves. We don't pick children for our own glory. But the father picks his children for his own honor and glory. So as a result, when we choose a spouse, we choose for God's glory. And if we adopt, we adopt for His glory, not our glory. We do everything for His glory because He is what? Worthy of praise. And because He chose us for His glory. Notice also the spiritual place where God chose us is in Christ. Now, for the startling truth, look at this. When did God choose each of us to be his children? It says, our Father chose us before the foundation of the world. Nothing existed when God's choice was made. His choice was made before time began. In eternity past, the Father had each of us on his mind and in his heart. You understand what that means? Thousands of years ago, he knew your name. And he chose that you would be his adopted child forever and ever and ever. There's no one in this room that can go out of this place that's a believer in Jesus and not say, I am loved. You can't say it. As Spurgeon said, in the very beginning, when this great universe laid in the mind of God like unborn forests in the acorn cup, Before there was any created being, when there was nothing except God alone, he chose us 
individually to be his children. Wow. Our Father has loved us as long as the world has existed. For any of you who were born without or raised in a home that didn't have a loving father, you still were being loved during that time. You were still loved during those years. You were loved by the Father. These truths are important for us to understand and embrace. With our eternal glasses on, we can know God loved us, the spiritual orphans, with an electing love before the world existed. Now, if you understand this, how many of you want to go out and sin now? None of us. If this is fresh in our minds and in our hearts and we're meditating on that, it doesn't matter what anybody does to me. It's okay. This is God's love for you. Notice second, the father's aim in his choice was holy and blameless children. Notice the goal of God's choosing us before the creation was so that we would be holy and blameless before him. God chose us before time so that we would be holy and blameless, set apart and without blemish before him. So the goal of God's choosing us in Christ was so that we would be set apart, blameless, spotless in his presence. This is mentioned again in Ephesians chapter 5, right? With wives, husbands. God wanted a people who were sinless before him. He wanted righteous children before him. He desired people who looked like him. Holy and blameless people. Now at this point you might say, then why in the world did he pick me? (laughs) I'm a sinner. (laughs) Does this mean I'm not chosen? Because I sure don't look holy and blameless right now. Anybody in here? Why did he choose me? Again, it's important to remember. We are chosen not by our works, but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone. When we believe, we are declared righteous with God based on a divine exchange. Jesus' righteousness is credited to our account and our sin is placed on him and the Father judges the Son on our behalf. So all of us who have believed have been declared right with God and we are righteous children in his sight by declaration, by legal declare. We are ordained by God also to be conformed to his image. Beloved, this is sanctification. Holy holy and blameless is a spot time moment when he first starts, but beloved... It starts, he starts making us look like his children too. That is what sanctification is about. 
God wants you to look like his children. So what does he do? He disciplines us. He works in us. He convicts us. He encourages us. You know, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son is what? Romans chapter 8, right? So, brethren, God had your salvation on his mind before the world began. God determined to save you, not because you were good, but because he is good. So what does this produce in all of us? Hopefully praise and gratitude and honor and obedience and joy and dependence. And if not, I don't think we've remembered just how much he loves us. We still don't get it. He chose to save wretched spiritual orphans. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now listen to this last verse. I don't know if you or this last section in, in Romans 8. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Listen closely. Listen closely. He predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. 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 Who's the brethren? Who's the brethren? Who is his firstborn? This is Jesus Christ. That he would be preeminent. We are being made to look like Jesus so that Jesus will be what? Preeminent as all the brethren. Did you know, beloved, that we are brothers and sisters of Christ Jesus himself? Oh, the glory of this, folks. The Father God sent his Son that we could be brothers and sisters with his Son and we could be adopted into his family that he would be made first among all the brethren. Oh, I want to look like him. What about you? I want to look like my big brother, for lack of a better term. He loved me. He loves you. We will look like Jesus, holy and blameless, before the Father. So that Jesus will be preeminent among many brethren. You notice how all that fits together? Oh man, I tell you, I'm reading the Bible and it's like it's everywhere now. I'm a part of God's family. Notice the next detail, verse, the third point. In the Father's great love, He predetermined our adoption as sons. It says in 4, it says... In love, in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Different Bible translations connect in love to either verse 4 
Or verse 5. Some of you, if you have ESV or NASB, you have a, a period before in love. You see it? This is obviously a, a transla- translational issue. You understand that the verse numbers were not in the Bible until 1272 A.D., way after the letter was written. So even the numbers are a translation. Is it the good break there? I don't think so. I think it's better. It would have been in love. Should have started verse 5, I guess. Paul introduces that whole idea of God's adopting love here. He says, it's in God's love that we have been adopted as his children. That same love that later is developed in Ephesians chapter 2 that we saw because of his great love with which he loved us. It had already been introduced in in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 and 5. It can literally be translated this way. In love having predestined us to adoption as sons. The word predestined means to predetermine or preset a boundary. Predestination, you know, it's that ugly word that some people in evangelical circles don't even want to talk about. But beloved, it's, it's in the Bible. This is a word in the Bible. This isn't like one of those words that we, that's arrived over time to kind of explain a truth or a doctrine even. This in the Bible. The word predestined is there. And what does it mean? The Father, God's predetermined plan. He pre-set a boundary. He predestined us to be his adopted children. We are God's adopted children that he chose before the world began. Now, this idea of adoption during New Testament times, we'll talk about this as we go along and we'll develop it more. But just a couple of keys on this idea. First, in Roman time during which Paul would write and take this metaphor and apply it to the relationship that we have. The father of a house had absolute authority over his family. I mean, the father was it in the house. Even killing one's own child would not be considered murder if the father did it. That's how... That's how the authority of the family was whoo, way up. This is the father. He was the authority. He determined the moral direction of his family. The father of the house was the only one who could bring a new child in from outside into the home. The natural father had to release publicly his child from him or her to be adopted into another one. So one father had to say, okay... He's not my child. He's an orphan. And the other father had to say, okay, he's my child for the adoption to happen. And it had to be done publicly. The father had to renounce, the the natural father had to renounce the child. The adopting father had to take full possession when he adopted him, took full possession and responsibility for the child. You couldn't renege. That's your child. And you're fully responsible. The adopting father would then make his own, him his own son with all the rights and privileges of being the father's natural born son. Oh, beloved, you just don't know how much the implications are for us in this passage. 
It's just shocking. This is that whole thing of we are co-heirs with Christ. Meditate on it for just a second. Think about this. You were an orphan who hated God. And He made you a co-heir with His Son. And said, all the rights and privileges that I am going to share with my Son, I'm going to share with you. Are you loved? Oh, nobody can go out of here saying, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. No, I'm loved by God. I'm His son. This adoption imagery would be what Paul had in his mind as he was trying to get across to the people the amazing love of God the Father for His children. Here we are, the pitiful orphans who were fallen and sinful, that we're all about exalting ourselves. God sees us and is fully aware of our sinfulness. Yet, He predetermined to make us His children. On August 1st, 2011, we officially became the parents of Julia Ruth Sprott. By God's grace, Julia became, or Julie became Julia Ruth Sprott. As we went through the process of adopting her, we found out more and more about Julia, who she was, and what she was going through, and what could potentially be her lifelong issues. For example, we found out while going through the process that she could have heart problems for the rest of her life. We also knew full well that she was not a big fan of food. Right, little girl? Trying to get her eyes. (laughs) We knew it would probably take years to help her to appreciate food like her mommy and daddy. But our father's love for us caused Brenda and I to be committed to her despite her needs. In fact, we loved Julia as our own before she was officially our own despite the trials we knew we would experience. And it hasn't changed since. Our love for her has only grown more and more. She is daddy's little girl. And she will always be my little girl. No matter what she does. No matter what she says. No matter how bad she acts. I Love Julia Ruth. She's my girl. This is how our God's love is for us. He sees you blow it daily. He knows your failures. You understand every time you sin, you spit in his face. But you are his child. And you will always be his child. Because he chose you before the foundation of the world.
Beloved, this should make me do just about anything for him. But then we come to the final and the most striking of all the features of his adopting love towards us. This is the one that should take your breath away. It should literally cause you to gasp in awe of your father's love for you. Look at this. Notice how the father accomplished his adoption for you. It says this. He did it through Jesus Christ to himself. That little phrase, through Jesus Christ to himself. Through Jesus Christ to himself. Notice back in 1.3 it says, The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whose father was he first? Jesus Christ. The triune God in all of his glory have always loved each other perfectly. The members loved each other perfectly. And the way that the Father has united us in Christ and in his family is through the Son. And what is that? Well, that's developed in the next part of the praise. He did it through his death. He did it through his own son's death. Beloved, it is, it, it's costing Brenda and I really not that much because of great donations from everybody, praise the Lamb. But as y'all all know, children are not cheap, right? Average cost for a child is somewhere around $500,000 to raise them until they're 18, and I think that's on a poor man's budget, personally. It's going to cost a lot to adopt Samuel. But, listen to me closely, it costs nothing in comparison to how much it costs the father to adopt me. Nothing! If I paid millions and millions and millions of dollars, it would still be nothing. See, it cost the father his own son's death. The son became a man, lived a perfect life, and then the father judged the innocent, perfect son of God To buy my adoption. That is a love that is beyond our imagination. There is no way any of you can go out of this room saying, I'm not loved. This is. Love. This is love from the Father and love from the Son. How many siblings lay down your life for another sibling? I don't know about you guys, but 
sibling rivalry is real, <laughs> especially for the first 18 years of their life. Any firstborns in the room? Raise your hand if you're firstborn. How many firstborns in the room treated their secondborn really well while you were growing up? Uh, I'm glad you were all honest. I feel for my brother. Where is he? He's not in the spit zone today. Oh, he's back there. Not in the splash zone today. Man, there, I, I know at least 30 times, no, a thousand times while we were growing up, I treated that little boy that was eight years younger than me like a dog. My 16-year-old birthday party, uh, Andrew's celebrating right yesterday, he just wanted to hang over, and all the girls liked him because he was eight years younger. And I was so self-absorbed. I could not see him for anything but an annoyance in my life. Get out of my life! Beloved, I feel for the guy. That's why, you know, David picks on me. He could pick on me until I was the, in the grave, and it would not compare to how bad I treated him that first 18 years or 10 years of his life. But God showed me something. See, God adopted me into his family. And when he adopted me into his family, I mean, listen to me. I'll never forget the day that I received Christ as my Lord. I'll never forget it was the greatest day of my life. Because all that sin was gone. All my sin covered. And I laid down and I took a nap. It was the best nap I ever took. I was Christian and, that, and Pilgrim's Progress, that weight came off my back and I was like, glory to God. You are the most loving father in all the universe. You know what my first call was? My brother. I said, I said something to this effect. David, I have, I've been introduced to a love and a father that I can't wait to tell you about. I am forgiven. And I want, to, I want you to know I love you. And will you forgive me for all those times that I wasn't kind to you? And I'm coming to pick you up. It's an hour and a half drive from where I was going to church. I'm coming to pick you up because tonight I'm getting baptized. And I want you to be here. And I want to tell you about how much my father loves me. I said, okay. And I went and got him. 
now he's part of the family too. What an amazing God that would span and save wretched orphans like us. Do you know that love? Do you know how much the Father loves you? If not, cry out to him. Call on him. Beg him to forgive you for your sin. Help him to understand how much he loves you. Help you understand how much he loves you. And you too will begin to grasp the love of the Father for his adopted children. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good God. A good Father. That saw us and chose us and adopted us to be your children. Father, we pray that to today that these truths will take hold of our hearts and will control us and that we will go out and love as you love us. Help us, Father, to look like your son today, this week. We thank you for your adopting love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.